Good morning, church. God bless you, and thank you for joining me this morning. Uh, today, our passage comes from John chapter 12, and we are looking at verses 20 through 26. So I'll give you time to find that in your Bible, and as you're looking in your Bible, I want to start off by asking you a very important question in the light of uh, what I'm preaching to you about today. And the question is this, what does it mean to follow Christ? I think that's extremely important for us to answer and to really consider today. Because in, in today's world, uh, there's a lot of confusion as to what that really means. Uh, some people believe that it just means to believe in Jesus. And that's simply the answer, just to believe in him. Well, a, a question that um, important requires us to really think about, uh, think about it deeper than just an answer with, okay, I just believe in him. Um, others may focus more heavily on the serving aspect. And they say, well, to follow Christ just means to serve him. In actuality, neither one of those answers uh, really answer the question the way it needs to be answered. Well, I feel like today's passage really answers the question for us. And it gives us, um, it gives us the true definition of what it means to follow Christ. Uh, because following Christ actually involves both. It involves faith and it involves works. Um, other places in the Bible, uh, you may hear it in different ways, like truth and deeds. But either way, it involves both of those, and both of those are extremely important and important in us following our Lord and Savior. So let's read John chapter 12, verses 20 through 26, and let's see why faith and works go hand in hand in following Christ. Now it says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who were from Bethsaida in Galilee, in Galilee and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And that is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as I said, I think this passage does a really great job of explaining what it, really, what it means to follow Christ. And our story begins with verses 20 through 22, and in verses 20 through 22, we kind of get a, a, a background of what is going on. Um, the story begins with some Greeks and who I, I think I could safely assume that these were Greek men who were seeking out Jesus. They wanted to meet with him. Now, we're not told much about these men, who they were, how many of them they were or what they wanted from Jesus. All we are told in Scripture is that they wanted to meet with him. Now, they were either Gentiles who were. Uh, participating in Judaism in Judaism that that week because it was a Passover week, so they were there to um, uh, celebrate and and to worship with the Jews, or they were actually proselyte Jews, which means they were Gentiles who were who converted into Judaism, and then again they were there to worship with the Jews uh, during the Passover feast. So I feel like they would feel in one of, fall under one of those uh, two categories. Now, in Scripture, there's nothing recorded as to if Jesus actually met with them. And that wasn't the important thing here. Um, when Jesus answered them, he, he completely ignored their question and just 
uh, said what needed to be said. Now, that may not be the full story. That's just what John recorded here in his gospel. Uh, but as I said, the meeting with Jesus wasn't the important point. The important point in this passage is what Jesus actually said in response to their meeting request with him. And this is what Jesus says in verse 23. Um, he says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, the unique thing here about Jesus' proclamation is that this is the first time in this gospel that he has announced that the hour has come for his death. Uh, that's, it, it is really significant because he talks about this a lot. In fact, he mentions it five other times earlier in this gospel. And when he mentions it those other times, he announces and he says that the hour of his death has not yet come. Or he says, my time has not yet come. He does this in chapter 2, verse 4. He does this in chapter 7, verse 6. Chapter 7, verse 8. Uh, chapter 7, verse 30. And then also in chapter 8, verse 20. Uh, all in, in the Gospel of John, where he says, the hour has not yet come. But here, in this verse, in verse 23, he says, the hour has come. Now, notice what he says. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be now listen to this. He says to be glorified. Now that's really important that we understand what that means. Now his hour to be glorified meant that it was time for him to fulfill God's purpose for his earthly ministry. That's exactly what it meant. And what was the purpose of his earthly ministry? The purpose of his earthly ministry was death on the cross. That was the whole reason why he took on flesh and he entered his creation. And that was the whole reason why he did what he did during his earthly ministry. He was going to be the sacrificial lamb. And we also know that that was the will of God as well. Scripture tells us in Isaiah 53.10 that it was the will of the Lord to crush him. And it was also the will of the Lord to put him to grief. So he is fulfilling what God, what, what, what God has willed him to do. Uh, with his earthly ministry. Now, um, this explains why he would soon go to the cross. They were celebrating the Passover feast. And as I said before, he would be the actual Passover lamb. Now, again, that's astounding to even think about, that the Passover in Exodus actually pointed to Christ and all that is being fulfilled at this time, during this this week here in Scripture. It just uh, It just kind of... Uh, just blows the mind as to it, you know, it, it being revealed here. Now, it was his time to go, and he was going to be the sacrificial Passover lamb. And the purpose of him being the sacrificial Passover lamb was that he was going to take away, he was going to appease the wrath of God, take that away from the people of God. But notice that in order to be glorified, that's the word that Jesus used, in order to be glorified, Jesus would first have to suffer humiliation. Now, no one understood it at the time because anytime Jesus mentioned the cross, even to his disciples, uh, they, they tried to deter him from, from the cross. Even Peter said, no, that will not happen to you. And Jesus' response to him was, get behind me, Satan. So not even the people who loved him the most and followed him and were closest to him really understood what Jesus was saying here and what was going to happen to him. But later on, Paul explains it really, really well. And I want to read that to you 
because I think it's important for us to go over the humiliation of Christ in order to talk about the glorification or the, the, the glory of Christ after the crucifixion. And this is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. He says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now, I want to pause there for a second, and I want to mention this is the humiliation part that Christ suffered. The fact that he was God, and he was high and exalted, and he sat on his throne, and he took it upon himself to take on flesh, enter creation, uh, be subjected to an earthly life, and, and to die on the cross. To die, not only to die, but to die on the cross uh, for us. That was the humiliation of Christ, and that's what Paul talks about here. But notice in verse 9, Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, he says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and under earth. Now, I really, I, the reason why I share that passage, passage with you right here and right now is because it fits well with what Jesus is saying. He says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And as I said before, in order for him to be glorified, he first must he, he first uh, had to suffer humiliation. So Paul brings it together and really puts it into perspective as to what Jesus means. So in order to be glorified, Jesus suffered humiliation, and Jesus would expound more about this as far as how it pertains to the believer's life uh, later in verse 26. Um, he goes on from verse 20 through 22, or 22, and then he goes into um, verse 23 and 24, and he talks about the significance of his death and what it would bring about in the believer's life. And he says that, he says that the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, and then he teaches on the purpose of this hour. And he uses allegory for us to understand what was going on and what he meant by the purpose of his hour. Um, he says, truly, truly. Now, when we look at truly, truly, we must know that that's an important statement. When Jesus, repetition equals importance. So when Jesus says, truly, truly, what's coming next, we truly have to pay attention to it. He says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And he says this in verse 23. Now, Jesus says this to explain, as I said before, the benefit of his death on the cross. So he announces his death on the cross. He says, I must be glorified. And by being glorified, he means he must suffer humiliation on the cross. But that would lead to his exaltation and glorification at where every knee would bow to him. Um, but the purpose of him going to the cross and the purpose of his glorification was so that we, his followers, could be blessed. And we are blessed in many, many ways. And as Jesus explains the benefit of his death on the cross, this is where he uses the allegory. And he says, just as a grain of wheat falls to the earth and pollinates the ground, his death would make it possible for people of every age, uh, not only every age, but every nation, to know God and to be able to please God. Now, that's extremely important in the light of, of, of this text that we recognize this. 
and that we understand that this is a big part of what it means to follow Christ. Uh, this is where um, our faith comes into. Um, and this is, uh, this is where we must believe in him, but we, not just in general, but we believe in him as the son of God and the savior of the world. So it's important that, that we recognize this, this scripture here. And the reason why his death does this for us is because his death is the thing that raises up Christians. His death is what gives us saving faith. Why? Because he had fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. Uh, Jesus, again, who took on flesh, who entered his creation, uh, he did everything that God required perfectly. And because he fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law, he appeased the wrath of God for those who are his. I love Hebrews 5.8 because it explains it perfectly of what Jesus did and the purpose of, of his hour in, 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 in uh, coming and, and giving himself over uh, to the cross for our sins. Hebrews 5.8 says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. As I said, I love that passage, and I think it fits perfectly here to describe exactly what is going on. I also like what D.A. Carson says in his commentary on John. He says, death is a necessary condition for the generation of life. Now, what that means is the, the death of Christ on the cross was a necessary condition for the generation of our spiritual life. So through Christ's death on the cross, we have life. Now, I want us to really think about that for a minute because I think that is really important. And that's something that we should just think about and pray about uh, for a moment, uh, if not for a moment, for, for a while, because that is the reason why we are here together today. That is the reason why uh, we, we have dedicated our lives to Christ, uh, because he, has, he, is, he is our God, He is our Savior, and He has caused us to be born again. And without Him doing that for us, there's no way that we could do what we do in serving Him. So think about this. If you are a Christian, the reason you have eternal life is because Jesus suffered death. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the Bible also says that greater has no one than this, that, he, that someone lay down his life for his friends. It says that in, in John chapter 15, verse 13. Well, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He laid down his life for us. So Jesus died, and now we as Christians, we have life to the full. And it's just an amazing thing, and I felt like we really needed to pause to really think about that and just to let that settle into our hearts so that we can praise him uh, for what he has done for us. Next, as we continue to look through this passage, verse 25, Jesus describes not only the blessing that comes from the cross, but also the curse. Now, many times when we see the, the cross, we automatically, as Christians, we see the blessing. But many times we neglect the curse and or we don't acknowledge the curse. We see crosses all the time. We, we wear them as jewelry. Uh, we see them on automobiles. We see them in our homes. Uh, we see there's one right behind me right there. Uh, right in our church, in, in every church, you see a cross. Um, 
again, we only acknowledge the blessings of the cross, but it's important for us to acknowledge the curse because without acknowledging the curse, it's hard for us to celebrate the blessings of the cross or the blessing of the cross. And, and here it is, because Jesus' death, there is in store for, either, for everyone, either a blessing or a curse. The curse is, is that he who loves his life will lose it. That's exactly what the curse means. It means uh, those who are absorbed by worldly interests, that they suffer ruin. Jesus says that the curse falls on the person who loves his life. And that's what it really means to love your life, to forsake Christ for the pursuit of worldly things. So what Jesus is saying here is that you, you, you are forsaking him for the sake of idolizing something else that was created by him. And that's what it means for the person to love their life. The curse is for that person that the curse is that he who loves his life again will lose it. And what does it mean for the person to lose it? Well, to lose it is to lose it indefinitely, to lose it rather eternally. Um, it is a total loss of something. And I think that's very important to understand. That's what's being said here, is that this is eternal ruin, eternal destruction, eternal death. So to love your life is to love it above God, but the curse of that is that you will lose your life. You will completely lose your life. Now, the case in point here are the Jews. And if we back up just to um, last week's sermon... And the passage that we covered last week, there's a good illustration of what Jesus is talking about here. So if we go back just to verse 12 of John chapter 12, and you look at the triumphal entry, there are two groups of people who I feel like fall into this category. First, there's a group of people who saw Jesus just as an earthly king, and they wanted Jesus to free them from their oppression. Uh, they, they worshiped him, not as savior, but as king and as their military leader. They placed their faith in him to overthrow the Roman government, but they had no idea who he was. On the other hand, you had the religious leaders who were after Jesus. They were after to, uh, to, to murder him, to kill him, to prosecute him. And the reason why they wanted to get rid of him was because they saw their power and their influence slipping away because everybody, in their eyes, everybody was following Christ. To me, those are two great examples of what it means to love your life that you're just so consumed with your life and what you want, and you begin to idolize your life, and you begin to idolize the things in your life that you forsake Christ, your creator and your savior. And because of that, Jesus says, those who love their lives will lose it. Both of the people that I mentioned in the example were driven by their passions and their desires for worldly things. Now, that's the curse, but let's talk about the blessing. The blessing falls on he who hates his life. That's what Jesus says here. The blessing is that he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, here's something very important to understand, is that Jesus is the source of all life. And that's what we know about Jesus in his word. To have Jesus as Lord is to deny oneself. And to surrender oneself. And when I say oneself, I mean soul, 
mind, uh, body, heart, just to surrender oneself wholly to God. And Matthew 16, 24 verses, uh, excuse me, Matthew 16 uh, verses 24 to 26 really explain this well and what this means. And I want to read that to you this morning. It says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That's a great uh, example and definition of what it means to follow Christ. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits, and yet forfeits his soul? You see, after talking about the blessing and the cross, Jesus then explains what it means for a true believer to follow him. And this is where we get to verse 26. And 26 is pretty much the summary of the whole teaching. Uh, because to, to follow Christ uh, means to have faith in him, and also to do works in his name. So he says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Now, this would later strike a chord with the disciples. Uh, The masses who wanted to make him king would soon dishonor Christ as enthusiastically as they honored him. And we'll see that later on in the gospel. Uh, Remember last week how everybody, when when, when Christ came into Jerusalem, they, they threw palm branches down on the floor to honor him. And as they were honoring him, again, they were honoring him as king. Those same people would later enthusiastically call for his crucifixion. They would spit on him and, and they would be involved in, in putting him on the cross. And um, Jesus says, or the Bible says, people like this, that they follow him, they follow Jesus with their lips but their hearts were far from him. See, the shepherd knows whose are his, and he knows his by name. He knows them because he has numbered them. Uh, They hear his voice, and he leads them out. In fact, the Bible says that he leads them to everlasting life. And Jesus says, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Well, to serve Christ is to honor him as Lord. As I said before, in Matthew, the passage says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That is a great definition and a great example of what it means to be a follower of Christ. The Lord will bless the one who gives himself over to Christ, and he will bless the one who honors him with their whole life. Now, this is where... It's, it's pretty neat to see how we follow the same process as Christ. You know, and what I mean by that is, is we follow the process Christ followed as far as his humiliation and glorification. We see that there is a humiliation on our part. Our, humilia- our humiliation um, leads to our spiritual death. Us humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God where he lifts us up in due time. So our humiliation is, is acknowledging the sin that we have. And when we humble ourselves before the Lord, uh, the Bible tells us that justification, justification comes from that. And we can't take credit for either one of those things because it is God who works in our heart and wills in our heart 
and, and, and he's the one who does everything to bring us to saving faith. But the fact is, is that we go through a humiliation process uh, similar to what Christ went through whenever he was humiliated on, hu- humiliated on the cross and he went to the grave for our sins. But then he rose again. And as uh, Philippians chapter 2 says that one day every knee will bow to him. Um, so let us put all this together and think about how can we actually walk away from this and apply this to our everyday lives. Well, I want us to look at Jesus' life. And I want us to look at his life and his death and what it made possible. See, it made possible for you uh, to know and to have peace with God. That's really important for us to uh, consider in the light of this text. And that's exactly what Jesus points out in the very beginning of this text. His hour had come. His hour had come to be glorified. And the purpose of his glorification was so that Christians would rise up. Um, they would rise up as, as, as believers and as people who give their whole life over to him out of worship to him. So uh, that's important for us to know. Also, his death on the cross, it gave you everlasting life. This, this life that we have, it's, it wasn't free. Somebody paid the price, and the person, the God who paid the, who paid the price was Christ. Um, also, he bought you with his blood, and now, now you are his, and you are free to serve him. You are free to have faith in him. You are free to follow him with everything that you are and everything that you have. Now, I like what the book of James says about faith and works. Um, in James chapter 2, verse 17, it says that uh, faith without works is dead. And I think that's extremely true in the light of what we are talking about today. As I look at faith, I understand faith as this. Faith is, and this is putting it in very simple terms, but faith is the seed. Faith is the seed that grows in us. But as we look at works, works is the fruit that blooms from us. All this is done by the work of God. It is done by the power of the Holy Spirit. But faith is what grows in us and works is what blooms from us. They both work together in serving the Lord. So our faith is not only what we think, but it is also what we do. Now, I want to leave you with just just an important challenge. And the challenge is this. God has placed something on your heart. He has placed something on your heart. And and what I mean by that is he has called you to serve him in a certain way. And he has given you the gifts to for you to be able to serve him. And I think it's extremely important for you not to waste any time in doing that. Um, God has set you aside to be a servant of his you actually get to do what God has called you to do. There are many people who do not get to do uh, what you get to do. So my plea to you is for you to stop wasting time and for you to do what it is that God has called you to do. Uh, Connect with your church. Um, Connect with your pastors. Work alongside together for the honor and glory of God. There's not much time to waste, and we need to be about our Father's business. Thank you very much, and I pray that the Lord uh, bless you and keep you, and and, uh, looking forward to one day soon um, coming together and worshiping together uh, again as as a church. Until then, uh, we'll be praying for you, and 
If you have any questions about this sermon or if you have uh, any prayer requests, uh, please feel free to contact me or Pastor Laramie, and we will be happy to do that with you. All right, God bless you, and and we'll see you later. Bye-bye.